Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Cast Dice, the podcast that explores the great big wild world of tabletop gaming that exists today. It's been said once or twice, mainly on this podcast, that we are in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are just too many good games that we can spend our hobby time and our hobby dollars on, and it can lead to a serious case of not knowing what to play next. And that's the purpose of this podcast. It's to dig into the games that my guests and I enjoy playing. It's to talk about big industry events, and it's to talk to the people who create these games. Now, as a youth, I loved to read, and I still do. But the books that I just adored when I was in late high school, through university and beyond, were anything cyberpunk related. Snow Crash, anything written by William Gibson, I could go on and on. But I just loved the dystopian future of technology gone awry and the way that we as human beings interacted with this, which is why a couple of years ago, I was so excited to hear that Cyberpunk 2077, the video game, was coming along. And I bought it the first day and it didn't work. But eventually it got patched and it worked brilliantly. And it was just amazing to be able to play in the universe that I had been reading about for so many years and was so passionate about. Now, completely different game and different company, but same universe in the cyberpunk universe, not 2077 now, we're talking 2045. We are talking about taking that universe and bringing it to the tabletop. Now, there are lots of skirmish tabletop games, and there are many techno, cyberpunky tabletop games out there. But we got one in the cyberpunk universe that, in my opinion, is one of the absolute best representations of the cyberpunk genre on the tabletop. It is from Monster Fight Club, and I am so excited today to be talking about Cyberpunk Combat Zone. Now, joining me from Monster Fight Club is Mac Martin, a gentleman who has worked on so many games. In fact, he was a big part of one of the games that we featured on the first episode of this podcast, which, of course, Malifaux, second edition. And joining us today to talk about Cyberpunk is Mac. Mac, welcome to Cast Dice. Salutations. It is so good to have you here, man. I have been looking forward to this game for quite a while. When the Kickstarter was announced and everything was laid out, it looked amazing. And unfortunately, when the Kickstarter went live, I did not have the funds to back it and was shattered and thought, when this comes out, I will get my grubby paws on it. I was in the exact same boat. I was between jobs when the Kickstarter came out. I was so excited mm -hmm. for it. I was like, I'll just wait. I'll wait till it's out. Then again, as luck would have it, now I didn't have to wait. But <laughs> Exactly, right? But now it's out. I was able to walk into my local friendly game store, pick it up, look at all the, uh, all the gangs that were all on offer in the Kickstarter, all there on the shelf. And I picked up the box and I picked up an extra set of range rulers and dice thinking, oh, I'm going to get these so I can show my friends um, how to play and we'll all have our own dice. Not realizing 
the clever little friends at Monster Fight Club actually already gave you an extra set of everything in the box. So now I can teach four people to play at once, including myself, I guess. But mate, you now you are relatively new to the project, but you have been working on this and you will be working into the future. Yes. I, well, I've been with Monster Fight Club about a, almost a year now. Okay. So talk to us a little bit about your journey with no, Monster Fight Club and this game in particular. Uh, well, um, you mentioned Malifo Second Edition, the fella I, I wrote that with, uh, Justin Gibbs. He and I, worked, we liked working together. He was at Monster Fight Club working on the Borderlands game. Nice. And uh, he got me got me the gig to work on uh, Cyberpunk, carrying Cyberpunk into the future. Credit where credit's due. It was originally designed by my uh, boss, uh, uh John Kowaleski. He's mm -hmm. been in the industry for decades now. Everybody knows him from his time at Gale Force Nine and that sort of thing. He's uh, and he's really this is his baby, and it's a beautiful engine. So I came, you know, I'm the guy they brought in to kind of keep the ball moving, keep releases coming, keep things coming out, and uh, uh, that's just simple industry stuff, right? People who know people hiring the people they like working with. Mm hmm. Well, Monster Fight Club, if you guys have not been watching their stuff in recent years, they do, up until recently, and they still do, obviously, make top-tier plastic terrain, often uh, pre-painted. Now, it's marketed as being good for role-playing situations in various tabletop games. I have spent literally maybe three, $400 on their terrain to buy multiple sets of their fantastic trees for my bolt action and for my Marvel Crisis Protocol tabletops. Um, they have great rocks, ice. Not to uh, just plug, but we did just come out with the Metropolis too, which are full buildings with floors, pop-outable windows. And these things are so sturdy. Yes. Uh, it's, it's, I've got a bunch of them on my table now and it's just fantastic. They're great for any modern game. You mentioned crisis protocol. Mm -hmm. I love them for crisis protocol. Cause you can, you know, pop out the windows and throw stuff and just get really nuts with them. Yeah. I'm really bad at Marvel crisis protocol, but when you get to throw a dumpster at someone, it makes you feel a lot better. Right. If, if the Hulk can't throw a dumpster, are you even playing it? You know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the terrain that this company puts out, is outstanding and for those paying attention there is terrain in this box so we will get to that i'm sure but um up up until recently the company was known for terrain well they've recently started putting out tabletop games as well um as you mentioned a second ago the borderlands game is just going uh, hitting stores or is about to down under i'm sure in the northern hemisphere probably already has and of course cyberpunk i believe it hits stores in the u.s around Thanksgiving or before and here in Australia, it hit, I think the week before Christmas, perfect timing, um, which is how I got my copy. So I, I have to say now this is going to sound strange because it's January, but I've played more cyberpunk combat zone this year than any other game. And I need to play more. This game is fantastic, and it's really captured a group of my friends who, like me, tend to goldfish around to different games. Not only because of the rich setting, the mechanics are just great. So let's dig into a little bit of those, shall we? Uh, before we do, if you are into the video game, this is, as I said, 
32 years before 2077. It's right after Silverhand sets off uh, the bomb in Arasaka Tower. Spoilers if you play the video game, no spoilers because it's the setting. <laughs> spoilers for a 30-year-old event, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's it's this moment where much of Night City is destroyed. And the combat zone has been largely left untouched except for, you know, various radiation issues. And it's people joining together to create these gangs or joining existing gangs. And everyone's sort of fighting for their piece of the pie. So it's it's like a gang fighting game where you also have corporations and everything else. Am I getting that right? That is correct. Yeah. Yeah, that is spot on. And then, the, of course, the sky has been turned red by all the fallout. It's called the time of the red is a, the internal when we when we talk about this time period versus say 2077 this is identified as the time of the red and there are other operatives as well who are individuals who are working in this out on the streets trying to make their way as well and you can hire them into your gangs for different uh conflicts that are happening so it's a skirmish game you have um small model count but the models that you're putting on the table are really detailed and fun. Um, and I say that uh, not only in the, uh, in the sense that, you know, they, they, they're great miniatures to look at, but they really do have a sense of character. Whoever has sculpted these for you guys has done a wonderful job of giving each of those models personality. So it really does help suit the setting with, with the box. Of course you get the terrain Credit for, I think, a lot of those goes to, I believe, Constantine. He's done, he just does amazing work. There, right. there were other sculptors involved, uh, I, uh, but I I came into the project after it was already done, and, and Constantine is the one doing our stuff now, and they're just amazing. He just does amazing stuff. Well, those miniatures with that terrain on the board that comes with the box, it man, Night City comes to life. It is just one of the best looking games right out of the box I've ever played. And I'm, and that's saying something. Talk to us a little bit about the development of the game. I know that you came in a little bit later, but what was the design aesthetic for the company to create something that looks so good on the tabletop? Well, I think, I think John's focus especially was to make sure that the game itself played very tight and that it looked really good within that scope. That's why the game doesn't play on a huge six by four table. You know, I come from a wargaming world where four by four or three by three is pretty common. This game plays on 22 by 30. Mm -hmm. it's, it's designed to play in about the same space you'd play a competitive card game like Magic, uh, which has a really weird knock-on effect of you being able to sit while you play the game. Yeah. <laughs> which I... Right? Which I, as you know, a man who's getting older in life, I like being able to to sit down occasionally. I don't be wrong; I still love playing the big war games. I'll push my uh, my grain acts around the big six by fours all day. But you know, your knees start to get tired now that I'm I'm in my old age. You know, your back starts to mm -hmm. get to you. You start making tactical decisions that are are based on not having to reach as far. <laughs> so, uh, keeping it compact and to that size allowed us to put it on a board. And with that reversible board, it can then match the the buildings that we have and the, the the container crates and stuff. And that gives the whole thing immediately because you get the terrain already painted or not painted, but you know it's already got all the color on it. It's already mm -hmm. 
uh, you know, it's been printed with uh, with the textures. You're not having to look at gray as much. Only the models are gray. Once you prime them and paint them, you're in business. So right out of the box, you've got a board, a table that just looks great and feels right for the scale of the game you're playing it on. And though the ruined buildings are partially cardboard in the box, they have the windows cut out. They're, they're, they have the edges um, of some of the ruins that sort of taper down at an angle. So there are plenty of tactical opportunities to play out, even if you're just playing with the terrain in the box. And that's not something I normally talk about. But as we were playing this game, very quickly it became apparent how important cover is to different you know, different ways that people interact from the tabletop. And I'm a competitive player. And one of the things I like best about having this amount of terrain right in the box is it can show people this is the amount of terrain to expect. This is what the game right. is kind of balanced around. Sure, you can swap it out. You can use your trees. You can have a fight in a forest. You can have, you know, all that kind of stuff. But you can at least see, you can visually know, all right, this is this is where the game is designed around. This is what we can expect to 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 take advantage of when we're playing. Yeah, we added a few um, information kiosks and an ATM or two and some cars and it and a couple of food carts. And it, I mean, it literally looked like Night City on the tabletop. Isn't it was yeah. phenomenal. Uh, John has a bunch of these little neon signs he can hang on the side of buildings. Yes. I love those. And they're just, there's so many, he loves doing all the little gags so that there's all these little inside jokes and like, you know, puns about ramen shops and stuff, just on these little signages. It's right. Love it. Well, let's get into the nitty gritty um, because I, I can gush about how good this game looks for hours, but let's talk about how it plays. Now, this game has a really interesting set of mechanics that make it, completely different than a lot of the games of its type. This is one of the only games that I've ever played that doesn't have turns, yeah. which took a second to get my head around, but is really clever and is a, is a wonderful resource strategy mechanic that you need to manage because each model has a certain number of activations that it can well once you activate it, it has a certain number of actions that it can do every can, model has a number of action points uh and yep. they're rated uh red yellow or green red is the worst yellow's in the middle green is the best and so your characters not only have volume of action they have quality of action right exactly and and as you fail a post test, because there's a lot of opposed tests in this game, if somebody goes to shoot you and you fail your defense roll, what may have been a green or a yellow, um, which use uh, bigger dice as in higher numbers, you eventually start switching those out for reds as you yeah. fail. And eventually as you're and that really reduces your efficacy uh, on the tabletop, just like someone who's wounded. Um, and then eventually, after all of your activations turn red and you go one beyond that, your guy's taken out. What's um, really neat about that red system, though, since the reds are a D6 and like the greens are a D12, the yellows are a D8 just for fullness there. Uh, as your guy takes those wounds and gets the red dice, which is only a D6, the highest value on the dice are also the crit. So right. just like any good noir setting, as the most dangerous guy is the one bleeding out with one bullet left. Right? So you're much more likely to crit. Crits always succeed. So even though you're wounded and, and about to get taken out, you're even more effective. Yeah. Like, or Fishing you can be. Crits. It's a little more Hail Mary. Yeah, exactly. Fishing for crits when you're on those red dice 
is a legit tactic. And I made it work for me the other day. It was great. Yeah. Well, and yeah. because of the reaction system, whenever you take a wound, whenever you swap out a, a, a token for a red, you get to react. You can take an action out of sequence. And because of that, your opponent never takes away your model's actions. They only make them more erratic. You're not going to stand there and watch your guy with a rocket launcher never get to shoot because mm -hmm. he got shot up and died. No, he took one bullet. Great. He's going to shoot the rocket. He took another bullet, shoot another rocket. Everyone gets all of their actions. They may not be at their most effective, but you get to take turns with everybody. Likewise, if you have someone like my leader who happened to be out towards the front and I and my opponent moved a couple of guys around and then all of a sudden he was standing out there in the wind, so to speak, um, he got hit, got tagged, and I was able to just go, okay, I'm going to move. Whoop, and there I am behind the building and now I'm fine. Yeah, um, there's this weird thing that you can do when you're shot at, like duck and get out of the way. That's <laughs> but it, it, it feels intuitive and it feels like it should be like what what would be happening narratively on the tabletop but then as your crew starts to run down all of your action points and activations and you're sitting there thinking oh i only have a couple guys left who haven't activated do i use their actions or do i refresh the whole gang because it's a you go i go taking turns activating individual models rather than activating a model you can then refresh everyone's points. You and it's funny how your opponent and you, you both kind of look at each other going, are you going to refresh? Are you going to refresh? I've had a lot of one those, person refreshes. The other I've person had a does. lot of those like showdown. Those are like <laughs> moments, yeah. you know, <laughs> like, Oh, which one of us is going to refresh first. Uh, there is a model type in the game called gonks and they activate when you refresh, but they're the worst guys. They're just, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're not effective. They're, they're, no, they're like, your basic bullets. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, right on. Yeah. It's, it is a really clever, um, the way that system has worked out just forces you to make a series of bad decisions sometimes, which makes for, in my opinion, some of the best gaming on, you know, cause you have to make those hard choices of, okay, am I going to try and move and shoot this guy? Or do I try and get everyone refreshed so that other people can, you know, get where they need to be, but that might mean that you have someone who's stuck somewhere for And as, as you get into that advanced play, it's not just about your models. You're also watching your opponents. You're like, right. well, that guy's still got a bunch of reactions. He's got a bunch of actions. Like say, uh, uh, I think you said you play Maelstrom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you're looking across the table at Maelstrom, if I'm looking at a guy who's still got his three actions, I might not want to start shooting at him because he'll react by running right at me, mm -hmm. which is not where you want Maelstrom's to guys to be. You do not want them in your face punching your dudes. They're they're the melee powerhouses watching your opponent to make to, to stop them from reacting, to stop them from interrupting your turn by rushing you can be half of the tactics, especially when you're trying to deal with the more melee focused opponents. Exactly. And if you happen to be a fan of the cyberpunk video games and um, you happen to really love the action of looting bodies, um, I mentioned before, as people get knocked down, as their dice start going full red and then they get take one more and they get knocked out, actual body templates get put on the board. And yes, kids, you can loot bodies in this game 
and pick up really cool uh, new gear that uh, will really help you in the game and beyond if it's a campaign. You you can loot the gear that they're carrying. If there's a guy with a rocket launcher, you can take him down and take that rocket launcher from him. But we've also got a loot deck. So if the guy doesn't have anything you want, you can just go for something crazy and random. Yeah, we were going for the loot deck and seeing what random stuff shows up. And there's some wild stuff in there in, in the best Johnny possible Silverhand's way. bobblehead in there, I think. Yeah. Oh, is there? I haven't yeah. seen that one yet. Oh, that's there's a funny. Johnny bobblehead. There's a flamethrower. There's uh, all kinds of grenades, uh, stim patches, all kinds of good stuff in there. Yeah, for those who haven't played the video game, Johnny Silverhands uh, is a, is someone who is played by Keanu Reeves in the video game. So he's uh, a fan favorite. Uh, and uh, he shows up in the video game from time to time. Speaking of the color bands, we did say that characters have different color dice that they can use, but that also plays out as far as the movement works in this game. So as people get more of those red dice um, as far as their action choices, that really slows them down. Can you explain how all that works? Because I feel like you're going to use the technical language better than I am. Oh, yeah. Well, we have red, yellow, and green. When you take a move action, you can move the distance on our measuring device called the limiter. The limiter is a uh, transparent uh, piece of plastic that's 12 inches long, and it's got the color bands on it. Uh, it's also one inch wide. So a red is three inches, yellow is seven, and green is 12. So if you've got a yellow action, you can move up to seven inches. But because it's on this flexible uh, plastic, you can easily tell if you're moving at a, around a corner. You can bend it. You can, you know, you can go in arcs and that sort of thing. Uh, the limiter is one inch wide, which also determines the reach. Reach is the shortest range in the game. Most melee attacks are actually red range, but you can lock people down by getting them stuck in on the uh, uh, in a brawl by getting them within reach, and then it's harder for them to run away from you. Yeah, that's right. And um, <laughs> as my guys started to get wounded, the difference between going from yellow, which is, as you said, seven inches to red, which is three inches. Oh, man, that feels real bad to all of a sudden be limping along three inches each you, time. Trying you to really want to already be on that objective. You know, you don't want to be trying to hustle to an objective with two reds. No. And as you say, this is a game that loves a dense tabletop as would buffet night city and having a bendy range ruler, man, does it make a difference? Oh, look, I can just run around this building. Yeah. Another thing that really sort of sets this game apart from a lot of skirmish games that I've played are the scenarios and the multiple win conditions and how each, some of those tailor to the gang you're playing. Can you talk about the missions and how that all plays out? Uh, well, all the scenarios have a uh, win, you know, a win condition that you're aiming for and, and all the other everything you would expect, complications and that sort of thing. Uh, the ones in the core box are kind of the, the asymmetrical. I don't want to call them default, but they're they're asymmetrical. They're not designed to be competitive mm -hmm. in the in the way you'd expect, like a tournament scenario would be. They're designed to tell a story, to have an attacker and a defender and to have a narrative built into them. So right. each player in a lot of the missions, players will almost have different win conditions. But what's important is you don't play and then find out who won at the end. You play the game until one player meets the win condition. So you're never stuck playing a game where you've lost, but you still have to play for another 20 minutes to, mm -hmm. to technically end the game. 
when one player has achieved their goal, the game ends with them having won. And you get to, yeah. you know, at that point, process the the level ups on your character, find out what wounds carry on and that sort of thing uh, in a, in that campaign strat style. But it's it's for me, it's it's really nice because I don't have to nothing. Nothing for me takes the fun out of a game faster than knowing I've beaten my opponent but making them play a, a game they've already lost for an extra 20 or 30 minutes yeah, or being the guy who has to do that. So the, the, the flip side of that, or I should say the, the, the bonus effect of that is it also allows us to do three and four player scenarios because everybody's playing the game until one guy wins. Right. And it's not a set number of turns because there are no turns. There are no turns. You're, you're just going for that objective. And what that meant for when we were playing, it meant that we got to play another game, which was great. The game plays really quickly. When you're good at it, you can mm -hmm. get a game done. And some of my testers, they get games done in like 30, 45 minutes. And, mm -hmm. and I mean, big games, 150 yeah. points, which is the largest of our tournament scale games. So that's our, our big game is 150 eddies. They're getting those done in like 45 minutes because they know what they're trying to do. They're checking, 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 checking because they, they don't mind losing like real quick. Because that means you get to play a second game. You know, yeah, you can exactly. you can get two games in in two hours, no problem. Now, this is a game that you can play one-offs of and have a great time, which is what we've been doing. But can you talk to us a little bit about where this game, I think, really sings or seems to, which is uh, a campaign system? It's very straightforward. Uh, as you play and win games, you're going to earn, uh, you're going to be able to level up your guys. You're going to be able to give them... Uh, 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 campaign stars, these street cred stars, which gives them a better version of their card. And as you get more and more street car, uh, street cred on your guys, you're going to get more and more street cred. Now, some of the, uh, you also have objectives for your faction and those, some of those objectives also have bonus street cred on them. The more street cred you have, the weirder the gear you can buy, the better, you know, you can't buy a rocket launcher. So you have six street cred. They won't just sell mm -hmm. that to anyone, right. but as you earn street cred, you get more and more stuff. Once you've got 10 street cred, you can start challenging people to your prove your worth mission, which is right. a mission designed just for your faction that is heavily slanted against you. If you think this is going to be fair, you have not been paying attention. You're trying to go out a legend and win your campaign. So once you once you can win that mission, you you've won your campaign and you get to, you know, you start it over at that point. But you're you're not playing in a in a campaign with, you know, four guys where you're regimented every week. You can just play it whenever and you're tracking your own campaign and going for that win. We do have rules for the more organized campaigns as well, but that free form personal campaign is the default. And it's just a lot of fun to watch your team grow as you keep playing. Yeah. And a lot of the gear that you can, as you said, buy, or you can loot off of people. And this feels straight out of the video game. I was like, oh, fight oh, leathers. It, um, it means every bad. game has consequences. You might lose a veteran. Uh, you might have a veteran who takes a, uh, one too many wounds, goes out at the end of the game, and the triage rolls means he dies. He, you know, he's he's take complete. You know, he's wounded so badly he's not going to be effective anymore. He's passed away, something like that. And now you, you know, you got to start him all over at the the novice level and and you know train up a new guy. But the non-veteran parts of your crew are almost. I don't want to say set dressing, but they, um, 
if someone dies, it's like, okay, oh, well, I'll get another guy from the street corner to hold this Uzi and join me in this particular endeavor. So if losing those guys isn't the end of the world and you can just kind of bring them back the next week as his twin brother, Earl. But you'll lose street cred that way, which will affect what you can buy. If you lose a veteran, that's one less street cred you got. That's right. That's right. And heaven forbid you lose your leader. So. Well, yeah, when your leader gets taken out, he gets the wounded leader card instead. That's right. And until you win a game, he's down an he's down an influence. Uh, and so you you know he's that's knocking your street cred as well. So you've got less access to those fun toys. This is a game, as I said, with opposed dice uh, mechanics. In that, when you roll to hit someone, I roll my dice, you roll your dice, and we choose which color dice we're using. So there's a little bit of resource management about ooh, do I use my green dice? Do I use my yellow dice? Do I use my red dice? What suits my purpose here and what I want to do in the game? So there's that whole looking at each other, figuring out which color you're going to roll before you go. But with anything like that, there are days where you roll because the highest result on all the dice is a crit, which automatically wins unless your opponent rolls a crit. And the lowest one is an auto failure. It's not a one, it's auto failure. Auto fail. Um, unless you both roll it. Uh, unless you both roll it. And then in, if you tie by, by both rolling a crit or a, a fumble, ties go to the defender. It always feels bad in that situation to, to get a bad die roll, but I like the mechanic in this where luck points come in, where you get a series of them for each game, so you get built in a few re-rolls. So if Everyone you feel like, three, oh. And then the guys with lower street cred get more. So that if you're, mm -hmm. if we're playing that asymmetrical campaign and I've, I'm four games into mine with three street cred and you're 10 games into yours and you're, you're getting ready to almost do your, your prove your worth mission. I'm getting a bunch of free luck tokens to help balance those that out. And each one of those allows you to re-roll one die in the game, which doesn't sound like much. But in this by, game, really, by, matters. by default, it lets you do the reroll. All the scenarios that I'm releasing now online, I'm also introducing a uh, every scenario has a new way to spend luck called the cool. Oh, cool. So some of these missions, when you loot a body, you might be able to spend a luck to instead of looting one loot card, loot three and pick two that you want to keep. Oh. Uh, like Sometimes it. you'll be able to flip an objective over or make the objective move uh, on your opponent, uh, rain, you know, so, uh, uh, something down from the sky on them. Every uh, a lot of the new scenarios were giving you new ways to spend those luck tokens to keep things fresh and exciting. I know that a couple of people were talking about when this game first released, it was or was in the Kickstarter phase. We're saying, yeah, this would be a fire and forget like they'll put out a bunch of gangs. They'll put out the game and that will be the game. And. You know, you can play it and have a great time, but then Monster Fight Club might go on and do, you know, other games. And this game, you know, won't go on forever. But you're talking about putting out additional scenarios, putting out additional rules, putting out additional new situations models, and models gear. online to keep this game going. This game isn't a flash in the pan. It will be a supported game system. Absolutely. Yeah, we're going to, we plan to be supporting this thing for years. Um We've got new fact. We've got new models coming out. We've we got a new faction or two coming. Oh yeah, we we're not we're not sitting on our hands on this one. We were. I mean, everyone here at Monster Bike Club is a huge fan of Cyberpunk. Uh, my boss is friends with Pondsmith, so it's it's <laughs> yeah, it's really crazy to see Mike Pondsmith at at conventions. Just like he's just standing there, like he thinks he's a regular dude, not 
floating on a cloud of feathers or nothing, you know? Right. <laughs> it's trippy for me. Let me tell you. Uh, and uh, it's, it's, we're, we're planning to, to keep this thing going for as long as there's a fan base for it. Uh, I, I, I've got a test, I've got multiple testing groups and they, they don't even get to see what each other's testing. I've got enough groups now that, that they're going to be surprised when stuff gets released. One of the things that I really love about Cyberpunk, the video game, I know everyone likes to talk about um, their particular builds that they like and the sniper, ninja, whatever build is what everyone seems to like in every video game. I like the hacker builds. That's how I roll. And I was overjoyed to see that you can actually hack and you can use drones of different types in this game. And it meaningfully feels different than, um, you know, just another shoot action or just another right. attack action. There's because it doesn't take your model's actions. It has its own mm -hmm. thing. It kind of goes off on its own when you activate the guy. Uh, that is actually one of my favorite elements about the game, too. And one of the places I think that the game can be expanded on the best uh, or the, the smooth. I, I really feel like more programs and more more universal programs, especially that are used by everyone, are going to be key going forward because they can also be a great way to balance the game. Um, one of the things I, you know, if there's a guy who's got a really good weapon, putting in a stuff that'll glitch that weapon, super useful. Putting in tools to to take control of a uh, uh, an enemy drone. That's you know, all these little things are great ways we can add into the game. Where when one player, when kind of the metagame starts to unfold, right now we haven't really gotten too deep into our tournament scene yet. But as I see the tournament scene start to evolve, I think programs are going to be one of the critical places where we can start addressing the, I don't want to say imbalances, but let's let's be honest, any game, any game that's good will have a metagame. Players will find the, the tricks, uh, will start to see an ebb and a flow of what gets brought. And I think one of the ways that we, from a design perspective, can keep balance and keep every model fun and effective is by using the programs and the net runners to kind of deal with big imbalances because you can bring them down a little instead of having to to completely gut them yeah exactly and you know gamers we like to break everything we get our grubby paws on so you know it's good to have a, a game company that is listening to what people are saying and adapting to that yeah i i i'm a firm believer that balance is Balance is not something you achieve. Balance is something you're constantly chasing. I know that one of the things people are going to ask are, who are the gangs that you can play on, on the tabletop? Because those gangs are such a big part of both video game and role-playing game and the setting it's in the general. The texture of the world. You know, it's, right. It's, it's, yeah. And uh, it, it may even affect how you build the terrain for this game. Uh, if you're building specific region terrain, how do you want it to match sort of the character of your gang? So we have the Maelstrom. Um, we have Tiger Claws. We have the Bozos, which I was not familiar with until this game. They're a party um, gang. They're one of my faves. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Nothing like uh, sadistic clowns running around with chainsaws. Well, um, what's, they're fun to paint, too, because you get to paint bright balloons. You know, there's a guy who's just holding a bunch of balloons like... I don't know the last, like I've, I've painted a lot of grim dark. I've painted a lot of D and D, mm -hmm. right. I've painted a lot of minis. I've never painted a balloon. Yeah. Oh man. I looked at them and went, I'm not sure about that. I've got some friends who refuse to play against them because they're really creeped out by creepy clowns. Yeah. It really gets them. They're like, can I just play against a different army now? <laughs> exactly. 
Well, we have the lawmen, and as someone who used to play Arbides, uh, I am the law. These guys are feeling it for me. We have the combat zoners who are sort of generic warlords and their followers. They're the guys who live muscle. in the combat zone. Yeah, They're exactly. The locals. the locals. Then we have Gen Red, which are something that, again, you don't see very often in video games, or sorry, in tabletop games, children. Young teen to preach. Yeah, they're the they're the kids who are left out on the street. There's no there's not a lot of orphanages in no. cyberpunk, right? There's a lot right. of people that that don't have you know the 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 ID. They don't have corporate sponsors. They're just kind of out there, and these kids band together in the hooligan gangs like you'd expect them to. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's I got to admit, it does cause a little bit of uh, um, it's tricky for me designing and writing their you know fluff and background because. You know, they're kids. You don't you don't want to describe like real violence against them. No. So you've got all these Arasaka guys with machine guns having to get. But then again, all of their their stuff is they're spray painting your face to stun mm-hmm. you, you know, and, and blind you and that sort of thing. They're not a hyper violent group either, but it's it's very cyberpunk. Except for that little girl with the dual machine guns and, or dual machine pistols and her little friend. Or the one with the Tatra launcher. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I'm well aware, I'm well familiar with that child, having been on the receiving end of that rocket launcher. The Arasaka Corporation uh, yep. have their own teams out there. Um, there's edge runners and mercenaries. Um, so like the Danger Girls and other um, merc Trauma groups. Teams. Yeah, that just really, but you can also bring them into other teams that you are feeling yourself any, because they any- are mercs. Any faction can bring in two mercs. Yeah. So yeah. every every faction can hire a couple of outside contractors. Uh, one of the box sets we have is Team Monster. And a lot of people pick that one up because uh, Too Tall has got a rocket launcher. And it's a real smooth way to add a little area effect into your list if you're not already running it. Yeah, cool. Also some good snipers in that pool. Oh, yeah. Very, very cool. Having a having weapons in this game that go beyond the range band, oh yeah, that's a big deal. Well, uh, even it, though you're playing on a small board, that's where the tricky bit comes. Though a lot of a lot of players try and put, they try and get their sniper up on a on a tall building, which works. Mm-hmm. But if that tall building's in the center of the board, that's going to create a huge zone where he can't shoot. Mm-hmm. So you're wanting to get him on a corner, but then once you get the close, there's just a nice ebb and flow that makes those snipers feel strong and useful for the players owning them, but not, not in the way that you can't overcome. Exactly. Right. And people can shoot back at them. Mm-hmm. And uh, as my uh, friend, John's rocket launcher friend realized as she was shooting <laughs> down, Hey, my range specialist can see you as well. Yeah. I have a reaction system. How about that? I, I know I keep saying the word clever. I guess that's the word of the day, friends. But th- this game is this game. Yeah, exactly. Is clever because uh, I was playing against um, the kids, uh, Generation Red, and their leader had a power glove, which allows you if if he beats you in hand to hand combat, he actually gets to move you and get you to do a certain thing. Because we were playing a three-way gang and um, our buddy Albert was playing the law and I was playing Maelstrom and then John was playing the kids and he was tired of me coming after the kids in the corner. He just went up to two Maelstrom guys, was able to hit them both and make them walk into Albert's law guy. So all of a sudden, I guess we're (laughs) fighting a different team now, uh, which was, you know, so cyberpunk. 
I had I had one one of the most complicated things I ever had to like rule on and look at in a game was Apex. That's the leader of the Gen Red. Uh, mm -hmm. He used his glove on Tutal, who has the rocket launcher, who fired the rocket launcher, but then fumbled, which then made the fumble go next. Because when you fumble a blast weapon, it goes next to you. But mm -hmm. then it got moved by the player who controlled Apex because that's the right. It was just this whole like chain of events. <laughs> just it was like, ah, <laughs> it's rare that that sort of thing happens. But it was the most complicated thing I've ever had to deal with in, in our game. And it was so funny to watch this grenade bounce around and figure out where it landed and, and who was going to. And then, of course, once we knew where it was, everyone who was near it, like scattered. Right. They try and run away before mm -hmm. it explodes. <laughs> And that's a cool thing. If somebody tries to fire that rocket launcher on, at you, you're not just going to stand there and grin or, you know, oh no, do the Wilhelm scream. You actually get an activation to run away. Every, yeah, it's one of the rare instances where everyone can react. Normally only one model can react to a situation, mm -hmm. but with uh, a blast, everyone can be like, well, I've got a free token. I'm going to move. I'm going to get out of the way. They can only react by getting out of the way from a blast, but it, it means you're, your rocket launcher isn't going to be effective against guys who are able to run. You want to look for opportunities where they've spent their action tokens. But what it's also really good at is taking out the gonks because gonks can't react. They don't have right. action tokens. They just have a die printed on their car that isn't an actual token. So they, they just get cleared out by the big explosions. A cool thing with this game is, and something that we're seeing increasingly in a lot of industry games, is sort of universal special rules. Certain things interact a certain way so that different combinations of those rules are what give the characters on the tabletop their exact feeling. And yes, some characters like the power glove on apex who we were just talking about has his own special rule. A lot of these rules are common across gangs. So Rapid it's fire suppression. Exactly. So you and pierce um, and things like that. So you don't necessarily have to memorize a ton of rules to get going and not know what your opponent does for the most right. part. There's not a lot good. of like full text, you know, explaining how things work. And I think most of it's going to be things like this guy can, you know, react with this attack or this guy can react instead of his buddy. You know, it pairs into the rules. It doesn't write whole new rules that there's obviously some exceptions where we want to do something weird, like the power glove or, you mm -hmm. know, the bozos tend to have a lot of weird things that they do because they're comical. Yeah. But for the most part, you're you're once you know kind of what a machine gun is, you know what a machine gun is. It leads to a nice situation where while you are playing this game, because you kind of get it pretty quickly, it's easy to pick up. But there's a lot of nuance in the way that you're interacting with other people. It leads to a ton of strategic choices that you need to make on the tabletop, which I find is really rewarding for gameplay particularly when tied to, as you talked about before, those narrative scenarios. So you really do feel like you're playing out a story on the tabletop. It I, just feels good. It's the game state analysis, right? You're, you're constantly looking at the board. It's a little bit like chess in that way. One of the things that makes chess such an enduring game is that every time your opponent moves, you need to start evaluating, evaluating, evaluating. Yes, you can kind of predict, you can make some guesses, but you're you're always engaging with what's called what's the you know from a game design perspective the game state the board as it's laying now, and 
in a way that doesn't, it's smooth enough that I don't see a lot of players getting stuck with analysis paralysis. Cause that's mm -hmm. when the game state's too complicated, you're trying to figure out too many things. And because you have a set small amount of stuff you're going to do, you're not going to run four or five models. You don't have to plan too far ahead, but you do need to react to what you're seeing. And it keeps the game feeling very lively, at least to me. When I play, I feel like I'm always... I'm always looking for, an, uh, you know, oh, okay, I can need to activate this guy. What angle can I take? What special thing can he do? How is he going to get me closer to that objective? A lot of the games that we talk about on the show require a lot of models or a lot of terrain. As you say, this is played on a smaller game surface. It is, what, 22 by 30? Am I 22 by 30 that? is our standard. If you go, we have a cinematic level where you can double that board size, and you could play on bigger boards. Uh, John has this amazing uh, uh, loading crane and uh, uh, dockyard full nice. of crates, and we, we played on six by fours with it, right, at like four or 500-point games. Uh, Eddie games, but those are, those are not where we tune. That's not the object, you know, that's not where I try and make the game balanced at, you know, those, those are the outlier. Yeah, exactly. And we, we did play a couple games on the proper scale on what comes in the box. And then we also played a few on larger tables um, because there was multiple gangs playing and it, it, it both, it seemed to work for both just fine. You just need to be um, ready for the sniper. Is you know, a sniper is better yeah. on a bigger table. You know, the, the, the I can't balance the points without knowing how big the table is. Mm -hmm. So you know, you just need to, as players, when you're coming in, knowing that the balance is going to be a little different if you're playing on a big board. It's going to be more important to take cover. You know, your your melee guys need to move from cover to cover and get in with those snipers up on the up on the crane or up on the tower. They can't just stand there in the middle and shoot them. The game changes a little. It doesn't become unplayable. It doesn't become unfun, but it does morph the balance and morph your strategies. On a standard size game, you have usually between like five and seven guys. Typically. Um, I think the most I've seen at 150 points, uh, sometimes you'll see zoners maybe run 10 if they're, oh, cool. if they're going real gonk heavy. Mm -hmm. uh, that's not the strategy I usually use. I like to run around two or three gonks with my zoners, mm -hmm. but I've seen players have really good success running a lot of gonks. Mm -hmm. uh, but most of the time when we look at, I'm, I'm very focused right now on the competitive scene. Uh, we're seeing the tournaments start. We're seeing people get into the competitive scene. And so I want mm -hmm. people to know that this isn't one of those games where we're going to push the competitive scene towards larger and larger points to sell more models. Our approach is to say you're going to be looking between five and ten models on a competitive list. And if the game is fun, people will buy more of it. I, one of the things that drives me nuts is when I hear a game designer go, oh, well, you know, a beer and pretzels game doesn't really need to be well balanced. I'm like, it needs to be better balanced. You're trying to make sure everyone has fun. Balance is critical in a beer and pretzels game. I see. I used to think, yeah, it doesn't matter as much. And then when Warhammer had its plug pulled and it jumped to Age of Sigmar and the original Age of Sigmar didn't have any point values. My opponents and I tried to play it, and we'd put models on the board and try and play a game. But for the life of us, we couldn't get the balance right because nothing was pointed. So we were just putting down the models we wanted, but the games ended up so unfair because nothing was balanced. And we were just playing for fun. But you need that balance. And I think you guys have really found a good sweet spot with the number of models and the gear. 
Um, the games that I've been playing have been feeling fair and fun, and everyone's had a chance from the beginning of the game to the end of the game, which I think just credit, makes for great gameplay. I think credit on that needs to go to John and Aaron and the guys who did the original design. The game has a lot of, from a game designer perspective, it's uh, has a lot of what we call self-balancing mechanics. So right. as the game goes on, as you start to lose, you get more ways to recover. As mm -hmm. you start to win, you're now exposed to more problems. So it kind of just, it doesn't, it doesn't automatically balance itself, but it definitely keeps everyone in the game, keeps everyone closer to victory the whole time. So that there's, there's a, you never feel like you've just been wrecked. Yeah, exactly. I was telling you before we started recording the first game of this I ever played, I had some of the worst luck I've, I think I've ever had with dice and I still ended up winning that game. Um, as my guy got wounded, all of a sudden I had a ton of reds and all of a sudden I was running crits, rolling crits. Cause I was rolling, it was one out of six chance to get a crit and, um, versus, you know, one out of 12. And, uh, even though my guys were beat up all of a sudden, uh, my guys swung hard and I, sque I squeaked the wind, so to speak. Things you can throw on a guy is a heavy pistol. All it does is give him a range attack with deadly crits. But mm -hmm. now suddenly all those red dice can do two damage. That's right. That's very true. That and a lot of Maelstrom already have deadly built in. Mm -hmm. So you go, ha take that. Oh, I'm uh, wounded? Well, let's, let's even this playing field. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Ah, oh, it's good stuff. Well, Mac, let's talk a little bit about the future of cyberpunk combat zone where what's going on with the future of this and how can people find out more information about the game well if you're interested in just chatting with us or talking with me directly or asking questions uh, are we use discord extensively uh, i'm on discord answering questions not as much as i'd like but i, I get on there as frequently as i can uh, and we've also got a very active community on our Discord. You can find that uh, on our website at monsterfightclub.com. Uh, and uh, you can also find me anywhere that the game is being played. I've, I'm hopefully, I'm going to be at Adepticon this year. I think we're doing a, a, our first tournament there. Uh, and uh, we're just trying to push real hard to get this into the competitive scene, to get groups to be able to start playing the organized campaigns. Uh, there's just a lot of ways to interact with the game that we're very excited about. So we're, we're just out there trying to get it into your hands as much as possible. Brilliant. Get it Brilliant. on your table. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I have to say there is a wonderful Facebook group for this as well. Um, for those of us who are old school, uh, I don't know when that became old school, but it did. <laughs> um, and, uh, I've been following along there and there's some great, oh God, particularly if you're looking for good paint jobs to be inspiring, oh, there's yeah. some beautiful stuff. So one of the things I like about the models is ours were kind of designed to paint really smoothly with both expert and novice painters. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the ridging and the way the models are designed to flow were designed to paint very nicely with uh, the slap chop method, which you can yeah. find everywhere. But then if you're also a guy who's really good with like hand blending and non-metal, you know, you're in and in, in MMs, you're also mm -hmm. going to get amazing results out of it. Just, uh, it helps to have a sculptor who's also painters, you know? Yeah, 100%. And um, if you're thinking, well, you know, there's a gang box for my gang and, you know, I can get an add-on gonk box, but I want to add more to what I'm, 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 I'm putting on the tabletop here. Got to remember, 
Monster Fight Club also put out all of those fantastic cyberpunk red role-playing models not too long ago. Those are all the same scale, and you can use them in this game. They are our baseline. Uh, every model we produced for Cyberpunk Red, the role-playing game, has a card in our game. Brilliant. And where can people find those? Uh, well, they're on the War Games Vault. Uh, if you want to just, if you're looking to get a couple of them uh, printed, if you're just looking for specifics, you can get them off of War Games Vault. Uh, but uh, there's also a card pack that came out. I don't know if it's available right now, but I do believe the intention is to keep that available so you can just spend 10 or 12. May I don't, I'm just the designer. There's a lot of some of the stuff I don't I don't get I'm not privy to yet. Yeah. Uh, but I believe that is out now. And if we may be doing a new print run to get more of them, but you will be able to just buy all the cards if you want really? to. Yeah. So you can have, you know, the guitar playing musician or the guy, the camera crew guy with the news camera, whatever it is that you want to add. We just can. and those models have so much character. We just put out uh, our rock band for testing uh, on our Discord. You can also see those those cards before they're released. I do a lot of public testing. Brilliant. We got yeah, our, we have our, our Kano class rocker boy. He's now my my new favorite uh, edge runners leader. Oh, cool. Well, guys, please uh, do look up Cyberpunk Combat Zone. It is one of my favorite new skirmish games to play, and I will be playing it a lot more in this year to come and uh, might just continue to be the game I've played most this year. It is tons of fun. Highly recommend. And um, Mac, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks it has been an absolute pleasure. It's been great. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you. No worries, man. And ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. If you have any requests for Cast Dice, please do contact the page. C-A-S-T-D-I-C-E. That's the Facebook page. Always guaranteed a response. We will continue to cover uh, CanCon. I know CanCon has just happened if you're listening to this. However, we will have a ghost army where we revisit uh, probably with Patch. And we're going to talk about all the wonder that was bolt action there. Uh, and I'm sure there'll be more bolt action in the year to come with lots of other games as well. As our buddy Casey always says at a time like this. When you are playing the games that we know and love, I hope that your dice roll hot. I hope your beverages are cold. But more than that, we at Cast Dice hope that you are having fun. Stay safe out there, guys. Good night.